Hello, welcome to Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Katherine Troyer, and joining me is the one and possibly only Anthony Tresca. I actually think I did a search of my name one time. I think there are other Anthony Trescas, or there oh. were, because I was named after an Anthony Tresca in my family. Sadness. I think he's dead now, but I think there was another one, perhaps? Then never mind. Joining me is just one more of the mini Anthony Tresca's. Well, um, I wouldn't go as far as the mini. Maybe like the two or the three. Tresca's a... It's not that common of an Italian name. Super common. <laughs> and so now you know that you're filled with commonness. Um, this is a podcast that is devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible, which is usually Anthony's puns. Mm -hmm. um, each episode looks specifically at a horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are very, very excited and so thankful to have you all joining us for this week's discussion on 2017's The Babysitter. Excellent. So this is our first Netflix film that we are talking about, and that's an exciting moment. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's one of those films that I think has already started to gather quite the following of just, you know, people that are like, yeah, I like this film a lot, mm -hmm. um, which is, of course, what Netflix wants in their power for control of the world. Yeah, so it wasn't made by Netflix. Like, this wasn't one of the... The films that like Netflix self produced and or anything, they bought the distribution rights to ah, this film. Clever. So, it's a Netflix film in name only. Interesting, and there is your insight into how Netflix will someday control us. Mm -hmm. They may buy the distribution rights for you. Ooh, now that's a movie. Hashtag fake deep. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so um, speaking of not fake deep. Uh, one of the things we like to do in our podcast is begin with a sort of theoretical framework and that comes from me. And this isn't a film, it's it's a little too new to really have a ton of scholarship being produced on it. Mm -hmm. uh, because even though, you know, it's it's from 2017 and that feels like forever, um, it just takes forever for things to get published, academically speaking. Yeah. But there are things that are happening in this film that make it interesting um that are things that are happening and in, in stuff that is being written about yeah i i mean i feel like you wouldn't have said that if you didn't have articles that you're about to read that prove that exact thing you seem like it, it seems like it was too polished for that yes. to just have been an off-the-cuff thing yes no because it would be really sad if you just were like i'm sure at right. the end of that yeah there'd be delightful or just I'll, like i'll do that next time next time like, i bet there's up. some stuff Moving onward. <laughs> Today, though, I know for sure that um, there's a really interesting article that comes out of the edited collection called Uncovering Stranger Things about the show Stranger Things, another Netflix thing. And this particular article is entitled The Monstrous Queer Child, Mobbing, Bullying, and Bad Parenting in the 1980s. And it's a co-written piece by three different authors, all of whom I'm going to slaughter their names. Um, so I'm just going to say their last names. It's Burns, Fontau, and Zarate. That's how I've chosen to say it. I'm sorry if you're listening to this episode and that is your name. <laughs> um, but what I love about this article is that they talk about this 
sort of reflection, this nostalgic reflection that Stranger Things gives us um, of what 1980s looked like in a time when we were very concerned with bullying, but through the framework of today's understanding of bullying. Right. And even though the uh, babysitter is not set in the 80s, it has that nostalgic charm to it that kind of feels a little bit timeless. There's an intentional timelessness to it, even though Cole, for example, has a laptop that he can watch Mad Men on. And Mad Men exists. And Mad Men which exists. Which inherently does dated it's at least past when Mad Men was released, which was 2014? Is that just a random year I've said? I have no Let's idea. Let's do a quick Google. Uh, it turns out it was a random year. I just said it's 2007 to 2015. Excellent. Yeah, so it was in there, though. 2014's in there. And so, yeah, so the film is very clearly present day, but it does still have that sort of nostalgic charm. And what I find really interesting about this article on talking about bullying is it's talking about the idea that there's a very specific type of character that is bullied in in the show Stranger Things and it's very similar to the type of character that is bullied in in the babysitter Mm -hmm. and it is this character type that they are describing as the a character that exhibits queer masculinity and they're saying that queer masculinity is not the same as homosexuality right it's more something that is deviant to our definition of traditional sort of hegemonic masculinity. And so in Stranger Things, right, it's a bunch of, of kids who are frequently bullied who play, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. They're geeky. Um, they're geeky. It's like the Big Bang Theory type exactly. of masculinity. It's like there are more sensitive, weird, quirky little yes. men. And and it's the same in, in The Babysitter, right? right? That we have Cole. I mean, the first time we see him, he's scared about getting the shot. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a little soft. He's a little delicate. I think about that face he makes um, when his dad is doing the donuts in the parking lot, right? And he's, like, terrified, pretending to care mm-hmm. and pretending that he likes it, right? Right. And everything about this character sort of is set up. So that he undergoes this, like, hero's journey where he becomes the more traditional yeah, masculine he has to, figure. He has to face every single yes. one of his fears systematically. And he has, and, and that includes winning over the love, the, quote, love of his life, right? His, his, right. his female neighbor, right? And his babysitter. And his babysitter, way. yeah. So he has to vanquish... He has to vanquish her, her. And he has to win. And so there's just so much about it. And I think that it's really interesting that this text um, does something that that is an element we are seeing in other things as well. And that is this portrayal of the queer masculine child who is initially set up as sort of this monstrous figure. Um, and we see them being bullied, but we also see them becoming oftentimes not what they were at the beginning. Yeah. It, they are forced to undergo a change because what they are is wrong yes. or bad or doesn't or really more to the point doesn't fit within the status quo. But what's interesting and what I think is important about both the show Stranger Things and The Babysitter is that although the character undergoes these changes or characters undergo these changes, we're still supposed to believe that there was nothing fundamentally wrong with them to begin with. Right, that 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 yes, they're stronger now. Yes, they survived now, but they were only survived because they had these traits: um, paying attention, listening, using lines of communication, um, being a good kid, that allow them to move to this other camp. You think that's true for the babysitter? I do. Interesting. I don't know if that's actually. 
if that's the case because the first line of the film is there's nothing to be scared of i believe that's the first it could be one of the could be some nonsensical screaming mm-hmm. from him at the sure, first sure. but it's from that first scene where he's with the needle and that's the first line there's nothing to be scared of and so i think he does start the film in a place where they're fundamentally putting him down he's in a place of weakness and they te- the film through the dialogue and this character's kind of beats him over the head with you are afraid of something that you should not be afraid of you have to stop that so i think that the film and this is where i i have a little bit of a a problem with the film that I otherwise very much like because it's horror comedy, which means I'm, you know, more or less predisposed to like it. Um, I think the film simultaneously shows us that he has to be different in order to overcome his fears, but also he's aware, for example, of um, the fact that there are creepy crawlies under the house because he listened to his mom talk about it. Right. He um, is able to use his childhood treehouse because he still has a connection to his childhood. Um, The girl who he is friends with, um, that whole scene happens because he's respectful of women. Right. So I feel like there there are ways in which he's having to overcome certain things. But there is also a way in which the film is saying that, you know, certain aspects of who he is are, quote, okay. And I think this is where I have a problem, is I feel like sometimes the film gives us a little bit of a mixed message regarding that. Yeah, I'm not sure if the film is 100% solid on on that, on what it's saying about yes. this. Which we will unpack a little bit more, but before we go there, uh, would you give us our sort of introduction to the film that is The Babysitter? Just a, just a little bit this time. Babysitter came out in 2017. You already took, you already made me spoil a big thing I was going to say oh, about Netflix sorry. just being the distributor of this film. Thunder it's, stolen. Yeah, really. You, thunder has been snatched. That's so sad. Very, very you sad. You could reclaim it. You did. You tried. I did. I yeah, tried. Okay. I, I came back and I said it again. Yes. Just in case anyone wasn't listening the first yes. time. Uh, it's directed by a filmmaker, uh, Joseph McGinney Nicole, but he is not known as that. He's known as MCG. I know. So cool. He's so cool. cool. What a great guy. What a yeah. what a fun little name he's got. Yeah, he's, I wish I had a cool nickname. I've always wanted one. I never got one. I've also I'm I guess we're just not the people who get nicknames. I've never gotten one. So depressing. I had one but it was not worth repeating. So I, I had one oh bad. It, no, it wasn't bad, it just wasn't cool by any stretch of the imagination. I, I had a gym coach who used to call me Fresca. Because he was like, I drink Fresca. Your last name is Tresca. Change one word, one little letter there. Yeah. That's not cool, It's though. not cool. It was a lame, lame nickname. I had people call me Stubbs because I have short legs. So, again, oh, that's not, not a, so cool. No, that's not. Um, yeah, so this gentleman, though. MCG. Has a very cool name. Yeah. So he kind of had just been involved with the music industry for a while. He directed music videos. He's a former record producer, did a bunch of albums. And then he directed the Charlie's Angel film, uh, which was pretty good. Pretty big hit at the time. Uh, and then he went on to do some a couple of other films. He's kind of been dismissed by a lot of people. He's not a very well-respected filmmaker within the industry, There's a lot of people make fun of him online and for whatnot, for the type of films and stuff Mm -hmm. that he makes. But I think he did a pretty good job with this film, all things considered. However, critical reception to this film has been kind of, like, tepid Mm. at best. On the whole, there aren't a lot of critical reviews for Mm -hmm. this film. 
which I guess means that the critics just skipped it. They just decided an MCG film was not for them. Or a Netflix film. Or a Netflix film was not for them. There but is... I think there's some inherent prejudice kind of built into that lack of critical reception. Yeah, and so a lot of these, like anything number that I'm giving you, particularly when it comes to the critical reception, is going to be... It's not going to be 100% accurate because there's just not a ton mm-hmm. of uh, critical responses to this film. So on Rotten Tomatoes, a site that usually has... Over a hundred uh, reviews. There's only 26 reviews oh, from wow. critics. Uh, it's at a 69 percent there, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's bad. got a 60 percent from audiences uh, on here. The Metacritic score is they just don't have one. Wow. Because only two critics have reviewed it, and both of the critics gave it negative reviews. So it would be one gave it a 48 and one gave it a zero. Wow. So it would be really low on that on Metacritic. You know, I feel like. I'm not sure what it would take for me to give a zero. I've seen some zero films. So I've seen some films that, like, I mean, I, I know I have two, but I just feel like, I mean, we're talking about, that's not just, like, having an apathetic view towards it. That's, like, having, I mean, that's truly having just a, like, physiologically negative response. Yeah. Do you want me to read what they say about it? Yes. It's zero. It's insulting. Unfunny, blunt. I'll leave. A, it'll leave a hell of a bitter taste in the mouths of general audiences and horror nuts alike. That's very intense. It is blunt. He's it is right. Blunt. He, yeah. he, it's right to the point. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because the, some of what he's saying is absolutely true, but I think that's part of its charm. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree this, with him about unfunny. Yeah, I certainly don't agree with him about unfunny. Um, and I, but I also think that some of its bluntness um is it being like very self-aware like okay you know that time when the hunky dude takes the shirt off well you're about to see it and it's not going to make any Any sense sense. here because it never makes any sense and so i think actually that like that's a redeeming element yeah of the film audience score on metacritic is a 6.8 imdb score is a 6.3 which for a horror film not terrible. It's not terrible. None of these it's are... never terrific. I mean, nobody's like, yeah, I got a 6.8. Yeah. Um, but it's not the worst we've heard or discussed. Yeah. Uh, Netflix apparently was like, you did pretty okay, MCG, because uh, they're bringing him back uh, to do a sequel to The Babysitter uh, with him as the director and the producer. It's going to be a written by American Vandal showrunner. Uh, and... The original cast members, Louis Thorne, Amel, Lee, Bachelor, Mariano, and Bibbs, are all returning. So that's Excellent. pretty much the entire main cast. Excellent. Which is yeah, good. Yeah. So there'll be something to look forward to. Assuming you don't think this film is a zero. Yes. In which case, there will be something to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> so the first time I watched this film, I started it and I was about... I wasn't very far in. It was actually where... Um, she comes up and tells the bully, like, whispers in the bully's ear, and then he's right. like, you're sick, lady. Um, that I, I stopped it, and I was like, oh, I can't watch this alone. I have to I have to watch this with someone because it's too good. So um, then I did, and then I had a delightful time. Um, you I had a different experience. had a very I, different experience. So I also did not watch the full thing all the way through the first time I watched it because I turned it off. Uh, I didn't. When I first saw the film, I saw it, I think, when it, right when it came out. Like, uh, I was like, this looks interesting. This looks like it could be fun. I might like this. Uh, and then I didn't. I I think I got about 30 minutes in, 
And I was like, this is obnoxious. Turning it off. Yeah, and see, when you told me that, I was flabbergasted is the best word. Like, I was truly and honestly flabbergasted because when it comes to our, our, our taste in horror comedy, we're not always 100% in sync. Like, we, one of us will like it a little bit more. Yeah. But there's not a horror comedy we've talked about yet where one of us has absolutely hated it. And so I... It just was, like, shocking to me. Do you know... Do you remember why? I don't really think I was paying um, attention quite as much. Uh, I think I was... I may have also, like, been watching it and, like, been on my phone or something. Yeah. So I wasn't true... Like, I wasn't giving the film its full attention. And so I think, like, a lot of the satirical elements and, like, the self-awareness... and Because a lot of that you get... It's communicated not necessarily just through the script, yes. but through the sound yes. editing, through... The editing in general, which yes. is very hyper-stylized to be self-aware. Yes. And so I don't think I was fully... I didn't give the film a fair shake by not giving it my full attention. Which, dear listeners, uh, if you're watching the film, turn off your phone. Watch the film. Just. I know. This or, sounds pretentious, but just... It's and, two separate things. And I'm saying that at the exact same time that just last night, I was on my phone doing something while watching a movie. Right, so like it's just so easy to do, but you're absolutely correct that no matter how good a film is, you're not going to be as invested when you're not invested. Yeah, like, when you're not yeah. actually watching it. So I think that was the case. That makes sense. And so then, you, I told you this. I was abhorred. Uh, you told me to go watch it again. Yes. Which I did that night, and I came back the next day and I said, you were right. I really liked it. Excellent. Yes. Um, And reasons for liking it so oh there's a lot here there is a lot here i already mentioned the sound design which yes. i think is sound design is one of those elements that i think often you just kind of you just look over but i was really impressed by the sound design in this film mm -hmm. it was very very sharp on it was yes. firing at all i'm not and i'm not when i say sound design i'm not just talking about the soundtrack which right. was good oh yeah or the score which right. was also good right i mean just like the the mix of diegetic and non-diegetic mm -hmm. sounds, how sharp everything was, and it really matched the flashy, stylized editing that was yes. going on. And I think there's a lot of really like technical elements that this film didn't need to have. Oh, and yeah. by that I mean that like lots of films don't have, especially films that are going to have such a sort of simplistic sounding plot. Um, but one of them is, is that I thought the color design was also really nice. Yeah. It was really crisp, um, but it also felt very, again, stylized is a perfect word, but I think about, for example, um, a lot of those early scenes with B, they've chosen that sort of halo effect, right? Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what you want in what's supposed to feel at least like at the beginning like almost like a rom-com right um mm -hmm. you want that effect especially because we're going to then see that stripped away but even that scene at night when they're out um you know reenacting the movie which like why did i never have a giant lawn and set up where my babysitter could do that with me <laughs> but like it's beautiful it's beautiful shades of blue like this is just a film that's very aware of colors that work together it's certainly got a vibrant color yes. palette yes it's it's very good, and, like, the poster design is also excellent. Yes. Uh, if you haven't seen the poster design that has Samara Weaving's face just, like, in this weird, fun, neon-y color. Yes. Which, I mean, I, that's the color palette. It's, like, very right. all fun neon colors, yes. and it's really good. I really like that as well. And then there's just, like, little things that are worth giving a nod to. This is a rather diverse cast. It is. It's true. And 
It doesn't feel diverse and for diverse sake. Exactly. Like, it feels like, like, why can't this person not be white, right? Why, why can't this person be queer, even if they're not, you know, homosexual, right? I think there's just, like, so many ways that this film just is very intentional. And that's, I appreciate that. Yeah, um... Going, jumping off that, I think a lot of the performances in this film yes. are just ex- excellent. Um, Samara Weaving has kind of cemented her status as like a horror queen. She's done um, this film, which she's excellent in. She's also in Ready or Not, mm-hmm. which she, she's also incredible in. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does a lot of good work. This is also... I have never been a big fan of Bella Thorne, uh, but she's really funny in this movie. She, she had, uh, and she's also admittedly given a lot of the best one-liners. Yes, uh, and her whole the scene where she gets shot in the boob is very funny. Yes. So it's she's given really good material, but also she elevates it through yes. her performance. Because that scene where um, she's upset that Cole has stabbed her, right? And then like there's that like heart to heart. That's a hard scene for for an actor to pull off. Um, because it's it's a weird scene, right? Like, because you have to be very authentic, but also, like, still in the stereotypical character mold. And I think Thorne does a very good job of, of giving us what we need. Yeah. And it, another scene that she just does really well is the whole where he's cutting the the ropes off his hands and there's the mirror in the back. And she really sells that mirror gag. It's like, I can see you. And just in, the insulting of him is so iconic. It's yes. just, like, give... It's so funny. That's just a scene that, like, that is not an incredibly smart gag. Like, the mirror gag is on one level. It's fine. Like, sure, sure. But it's just, it felt, it could have just been, like, a throwaway gag. And it's like, oh, okay, I see. Yes. You're doing, you're subverting the trope there. Yes. That And that could have been all it was. But the, her performance on top of that elevated, I mean, I may have undersold it. It's a, it's a good gag. But she made it the gag. She sold it and made it better. I think that, but also the way that that particular scene was filmed. Yes. Um, and the, the tr- decisions there where we have the, you know, like, carry a pocket knife, right? Like, and so there's there's just a way in which it feels very much like action hero moment because of the camera angles and because of the shot types. And then we realize, oh, there's a mirror right there. Right. Also, I'm a big fan of Ken Marino. Yeah, he's um, good. He always, I always think of him from Veronica Mars, where he kind of plays that very... I don't know. Can I say the word douchey? Can I say that? I don't see why not. Very sort of douchey character. And so it's, it's, you can't cast him without knowing the characters he usually plays. So to have him play someone that's not that, that's supposed to be this good loving father. It like, it's just, there were smart decisions made in this film. Yeah. A lot of good stuff. A lot of really good camera work. Yes. Most of the time. There are a couple. I had a couple problems with it, which I'll loop back to. But one I want to really talk about. I really liked the scene in which his parents were leaving. That long shot in which you the camera was entirely through um, the kid's eyes, and so you just were seeing it the world through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was a good shot, very mm-hmm. good up and down. This good use of the stairs, and it also really helped establish the house as yes. a home. Yes. It felt very lived in. Yes. And and this is this is why I think this film deserves to be watched, deserves to be talked about, because there is so much about it that is just cognizant of what needs to happen in order for this to be a sort of a fun romp through a horror home. 
that, and that's, through yes. the babysitter narrative, right? Because this is not none of this is new. Nothing that happens in this film, nope, is new. I mean, it is a little different to have just a group of teenagers that get together for some like casual human sacrifice. Mm. Um, but even that's not new. Sacrifices happen <laughs> all over the world. That's true. But- but not in America with hot people. Yeah. See, and there's the difference. <laughs> that's that's um, the difference. But but it, it's really not. Other than like the super funny lines about like I don't think my tap is working right, you know, and then the blood gushes out. I mean, there's funny bits, but the basic premise is so very familiar. What I think makes this film intriguing is the way that it says. But how can we take these familiar elements and take advantage of the fact that everyone who watches this film is probably going to be familiar with them? Mm-hmm. Not and and the answer is is not always that it subverts them, right? It's just that it presents them with the awareness we know what they are. Operating within like the repertoire of like known gimmicks within the genres and like storytelling device is allows this film to just be ironic throughout. It's like mm-hmm. similar to another film that we've talked about, The Dead Don't Die, which has like the irony throughout. But I think this works better for both of us actually. Yes. Because it's a stylized I aware of its irony throughout the entire yes. film um it comes across in just like ev- everything so like i wrote down in my notes while i was watching the film this film is so ironically horny i love it i love a knowing horny and it's just that is one element that is obviously clear throughout yes. but that's pretty much everything and it's something that some other horror comedies have, have done as well very successfully i think of cabin in the woods right right and the makeout scene with the wolf on the mounted on the wall of course um and i think of the film final girls uh which you know is is that premise of they're trapped in a horror 80s slasher film that jennifer's um, body plays with yeah that. and and so it's but it's just you're right that there's something like about the babysitter where they take that and take it to that next level. There's no reason they have to play spin the bottle, right? There's so many other games they could play. Truth um, or dare slash spin yeah, the bottle. Yeah, and so, but like, and then, yes, and so then there's this like weird, you know, makeout scene, right? And then, um, you know, there's the sort of gratuitous, in this case, male nudity for the most part. Um, but you're yeah, right, that, that, which, that it is like, it's true. it has that, that affect. And I think that, that where this film shines is in those moments where it is ironically unironically horny yeah um, I, I think where the film has some potential problem for me if we're going to deconstruct it right if so if it's just like brain candy it's about near perfect as brain candy um Good fun. yes as as something that that deserves a little bit more analysis as i was watching this film i was reminded of something you and i talk about quite a bit and that is you know this idea of of the horror genre as a film that reaffirms the status quo as a film that is very sort of inherently conservative and I realized and I I know this is a little bit bold of a statement to make because I'm going to make something that's almost an absolute hot take alert I know I know but I think that it is I think that by design horror comedies are going to if not always the 99.9% of the time be conservative in the message that they're trying to communicate. And and it goes back to, you know, if we take, go back to like Shakespeare's definition or 
scholars of Shakespeare's oh, definition, and, it, and even further, right, um, of, of what constitutes a comedy, it's that it ends in a marriage. It's that it ends when all the pieces have been resolved. Um, and there's other definitions, too, but it's why things like Merchant of Venice, right, is it a comedy or a tragedy? Well, it has to, quote, be a comedy because there's a marriage at the end, yep. despite the fact that it's an incredibly... Very sad piece yes. about... Shylock. Yes, exactly. But it's okay because there's a marriage at the end, so it's happy. Yeah, and um, Shylock just doesn't appear yeah, for the last you know, act. Who needs that? Who needs a downer on our wedding day? Um, yeah. But so when you take the root of that, which is comedy, which is about reaffirming this sort of like status quo and a genre like horror that is often going to do that anyway, I don't know if I can think of a single comedy horror film that manages to break out of that idea that in the end, that quote, queer masculinity has to be quote fixed, um, that the witch has to be taken care of. And, and I, and I think that's, problematic so i would agree with you i think for a majority i think that's true however i think that the one exception is any type of film that uh is postmodern in its sensibility because postmod films that are and texts that are uh, that are invoke postmodern ideas inherently kind of throw out all ideas about what is you that you should return to the normal society and that that is good and right and because and I think we see that with like the dead don't die which we just talked about on our previous right. uh, episode so I think that like texts like that would fly in the face of this argument because that is a horror comedy and it does not force you to return or encourage it right so however I do see your point though about the larger genre of like mainstream-ish horror comedy. And I would say that for The Dead Don't Die, I'm not even sure I would use the label postmodern because in many ways you could argue that The Babysitter is a postmodern text according to, to Panito's qualifications. What I think happens, though, is that if it's a text that we can define as being a little bit more in the absurdist camp, right? So a little bit more Samuel Beckett, Harold Pinter type thing. Um, and I realize those are neither of those are true horror people but but I think um then it can do that right but the, how many films other than the dead don't die can you think of that are horror comedy that that offer that more absurdist I mean approach maybe cabin in the woods I think maybe you could make an argument for that one as well so I think that cabin in the woods does not meet that definition of absurdist but I think you were right that that may be the one exception, and I think it's because they forced it to be the one exception, of a text that says that maybe there's some... I mean, it actually literally says maybe there's something wrong with this world if we have to have this system in place. Yeah. Um, it's all about systematically <laughs> taking down the system. Yeah. That's... Ha-ha. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah... Puns! So, but we're talking one film, right? And that's true like not absurd and then one and then films that fall under this more like experimental absurdist thing and to me there's a problem with that if cabin in the woods can do it and i think it does because you're right that was the there's the point zero one right percent. yeah that's it um that's it then we found it then we need to be doing it more and i think that the babysitter would have and could have allowed for that we didn't need to have you know this witch who's a woman and and you know beguiles him with her beauty and i mean like there's just certain things that were better than that at this point 
I agree. Again, I don't even think I disagree with you about that in this film. It's just, I think there are certain examples, and I'm sure there's more that we both can't yeah, think I'm of sure right now, are, yes. that fill in that percentage. So, But I do, I, that is a very interesting hot take about <laughs> horror comedies, because I, on the whole, a lot of the horror comedies that are coming to mind, like the Happy Death Day films that we've that we've talked about, um, Ready or Not, the... I mean that one is plays with plays a little bit, but it. but really she's. It's more about like her indignity of of having been chosen as a sacrifice than because of some like right. writing of the system. So it's just um, there's yeah. it's fun it's interesting to think about yes. it's a, I take your point. And you said that rewatching it this time that there were th- certain things that you felt. Didn't work as mm-hmm. well for me. I thought so. I made a comment up front on what I liked. I said most of the editing was good. However, I didn't love certain pieces of editing, like um, the disorienting editing that was being used during the police phone call. It was very frenetic, and I understand why they did it. To create that to sense. To create that sense. That you're in the moment. However, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you do know that I am not as big on jump scares. However, there was one I really enjoyed in this film, which was when... Um, Sacrifice Samuel was in the garage and he saw it there. I thought that was funny because I had totally forgotten about Sacrifice Samuel but of course you have to put him somewhere. Right. You have to put the dead body. So I was like, that's inventive. That wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting some jump scare but I liked that it wasn't the one that I was expecting. It wasn't How- quite a jump scare but I did like the... I, it was, but it's kind of close to it where um, he accidentally kills hunky shirtless man. Right. Um, and that that was kind of the like unexpected so it wasn't quite a jump scare but it was like a oh huh, well that just happened so there were a couple but you know that i adore jump scares so i had no problem however with that. a lot of the other ones were just kind of, i didn't love it like the jump scare with the plant i just wrote the word ugh next to it i didn't love that i think that if you're going to make a film where you were saying this premise has been done a thousand times before how can we re- reinvent it and if you're going to have things like the cutting the knife off gag and and things like that that you then have to be smarter in your jump scare. And I, scene. and they could they, have, and they did. In so, one, and I thought yeah. they had a really inventive jump scare. But then they also have the scene where the babysitter is is revealed to have been behind the door as he's there, mm-hmm. and there's this huge Wah! sound. And I'm just I know like, how you are about the diegetic. Why did we or need the that? lack of diegetic? We, we can clearly see her there. It's not that it's not like we need something else that forces us to look there. I know, and I, and I honestly, recently rewatching The Strangers and how rarely it used non-diegetic sound to remind us we should be scared in this moment, I was reminded of the beauty that can happen with a jump scare where you, it's the image and not the sound, right, that scares right. you. Um, or it's a sound that's organic, right, like the knocking on the door. So I will give you that, that I think that we need to now move past jump scares that rely on non-diegetic reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure you were not super pleased because I wasn't, um, and you have more problems with endings most of the time about the like, um, you know, like, oh no, she's gone, uh, sort of thing. I don't know. I didn't mind it. Really? Ah, I did. I I did a lot. Um, I don't know where it needed to end instead, but I just thought... that that I, again I know and I understand right the monster has to go away so that it can come back especially yeah, if you're gonna have a sequel and all that good if stuff. we're gonna have babysitter too it doesn't work very well but if it, the babysitter is not 
But I think it was just, again, if we go back to this idea that, like, what makes this film so good is it takes everything that is familiar and just, like, makes it a little bit more fun. That didn't feel more fun. That just felt like, oh, yeah, don't forget we have to have her come back. It felt like there would have been ways, right? Like, yeah. And it would have been... I'll see your point. I'll see it. Yeah. I, it didn't bother me oh, personally. It bothered me, which is very surprising. Yeah. But. I think I was more annoyed with, like, the this is my house line that was just like so on the oh, nose. Yeah. And that, I think that gets back to more of your, that this is more of like relating back to your larger problem about like this. Destru- I, I feel it's a destruction of him because when the line earlier gets revealed, said by the father, you're the man of the house, but it's clear he's definitely not in charge. Right. But now he is, he is that man of the house. It's just, so much of this film is, was about, like, subverting stereotypes and, like, seeing these different, like, playing with these archetypal characters and putting them, making them act just a little different than normal and seeing what happens because of that. But then to just have him affirm this, like, man of house, I am man, I am good now, I'm in charge. I would argue that it, it's because that character isn't. There's never really an attempt to subvert him. Um, he's shown from the beginning to be, quote, wrong. All the other characters get to be a little bit more complex, a little bit more uh, involved, right? Um, but but he is built to be our, like, but it's okay, because by the end of the film, he will be the man of his house. He will be unafraid. He will be able to vanquish the monster. Yeah. Um, and there's a problem there. Yep. There's a problem with everything about that sort of premise, even though it's worked beautifully in other things, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think about, like, Home Alone, right? Because this was kind of like the, the horror version, in some ways, of Home Alone yeah. with a babysitter. I, another and there's 80s, differences, Another right? 80s movie that exactly. I found uh, related to his character specifically yes. was Back to the Future, like the Marty McFly yes. type of character. And, and so, but in something like... Especially Home Alone, I, I bet I can make an argument for Back to the Future as well. The, you know, the, our main character in that one, it's his, like, it's the fact that he is unafraid. It is the, f- I mean, obviously he's afraid of the basement, but, like, it's all of his best attributes that get harnessed into him saving his, his home in Home Alone. Mm-hmm. In The Babysitter, it was, here's all the things you are, let's change them all so that you can save the home. Yeah, and I think that's incredibly problematic because it yes. enforces, like, a heteronormative, homogenistic view of masculinity and what is right. Yes. I don't know how it would have worked, but how delightful would it have been if he'd survived because he was afraid and, like, following safety protocols the whole time. Again, I can't imagine that movie. It's a little hard. But that would have been intriguing and and potentially... That could have been interesting. Yeah. Maybe that's the movie we make. Yes. Called Follow the Rules and Don't Run with Scissors. Yeah. Yeah. Or just don't run with or scissors. Or just don't run with yeah. scissors. Okay, it's ours. It is claimed. Stamp. And henceforth and forevermore, you cannot write about anything that has that title because we have claimed it. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> our next film, and more importantly, our thoughts on our next film, uh-huh. is probably going to be when we lose the followers that we have. It's true. It's. We're about to drop some real, unpopular, controversial opinions. That is, we're going to talk about the 1973 film, the 1973 beloved film, The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Anthony and I 
are not fans of this film. Yeah, I really don't like it. And that's going to be very alienating for a lot of people, and we are very aware of that. So there are lots of reasons for that, and we both would like to say that we very much understand its importance. Yes, and we oh, it absolutely are, did so much yes. for the horror genre, particularly in terms of legitimization yes. and integration into the main yes. stream. And I require it as something that needs to be watched in a class on the home in American horror, right? Yep. But when we watched it our feelings were underwhelmed. And so we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll put it within context. We will understand that you will probably stop listening. Or about, you might just adamantly disagree yeah, with Which us. we would love. What we would love is for you to listen and to disagree with every single thing that we are saying and then to tell us that. Yeah. So please join us for that next episode. And in the meantime... Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, be sure to follow us on all of our social media. Continue listening to us. <laughs> both dead and alive about us. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>